Hello, everybody. My name is Jason, and this is the Film Ruminations podcast. I uh, initially uh, intended to talk about Ed Wood's Take It Out on a Trade, uh, which is a release from the Agfa collection. However, upon revisiting the film, I didn't feel, and you'll pardon the pun, that it was the thrust of this podcast, uh, the content of the film. So I, I did record a short episode that I am going to bury on the website. If you want to find it, find it great. That's, I mean, it's not very well buried, so you're welcome to find it and listen to it there. However, I did not feel like it should be part of the regular series. However, in its stead, I have a stack here of uh, Warner Archives releases that have been piling up, and I've been making my way through them. And I did want to touch on these, uh, several good ones, a, a handful of uh, questionable at best. Uh, I'm going to start with three good ones. Warner Archive realized that they had a new film coming out this year. I'm sorry, that there was a new film coming out this year entitled Shaft. And so they took this as an opportunity to re-release the films uh, in the era of original 70s series. I, I do believe there is a three-pack out there. Uh, my copy of Shaft that I have was uh, an earlier Blu-ray release, but I still want to talk about it here. So... <laughs> Can't say he gonna be here, he should be here. Open it up. Shaft's his name. Shaft's his game. Can't say he gonna be here. And he ain't. Oh. Wait. That's some cold shit. Throwing my man Leroy out the window. Just picked my man up and threw him out the goddamn window. Listen, Snow White. You mean you gonna tangle sooner or later? Why don't you stop playing with yourself, Willie? You ain't gonna do shit. Shaft's his name. Shaft's his game. Hey, man, I don't know no Ben Buford. Funny. Oh, that Ben Buford. We're going to take it out of your ass, Pip. I'm looking for a nigga named John Shaft. Just found him. Wow. The mob wanted Harlem back. They got Shaft up to here. All I'm asking you is to let me know what's going on. No names, no places, just what? Okay, Tom, use up your minute. Get out! Don't tell me, man. Where the gun? Look at this. Goddamn. Come on, in front of me. You want to play your super heavy block number? I'm going to play mine. We can nail your tail for manslaughter on what we got on you right now. Right on. What is it? When you lead that revolution, why they better be standing still? 
But you don't run with the dam no more. We're done running, man. Shaft. Hotter than bond, cooler than bullet. Rated R. If you want to see Shaft, ask your mama. Hotter than bond, cooler than bullet. Movie posters proclaimed. John Shaft was indeed a shut-your-mouth detective to reckon with, a fact emphasized by the film's start by Isaac Hayes' Academy Award-winning Best Original Song and Oscar-nominated score. Richard Roundtree plays a smart, tough, confident lead, a private investigator whose hunt for a kidnapped woman puts him in the middle of feuding syndicates. Gordon Park directs a screenplay that Ernest Ernest Tidy Men, the same year's Oscar winner for The French Connection, co-scripted from his original novel. John Shaft is an icon of change from an era of change. Today, Shaft still tells it like it is. I had originally uh, watched the uh, film Shaft back, I want to say, in the late 90s when I was working at the video store. And um, it, it had touched me on a fairly profound level as it was the first film of that nature that I had ever seen. I hesitate calling it a black exploitation picture. It did come out on the heels of Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, and they did uh, change the race of the main character uh, from white to black to try and capitalize on that, which capitalizing on an African-American was the whole overarching theme of uh, black exploitation. However, in this situation, it's to me, that's that, that type of film is, is more emblematic and has more uh, more guts in the African-American community, which is something that this film does not have. That is not in any way to try and negate what Shaft did for the African-American community and for the film community at large. As the back does uh, insinuate, he is a uh, shut your mouth uh, which if you seen the movie at, at any point in time or heard the the song which i cannot imagine anybody has not uh sort of detective and it was very empowering i imagine however i would highly 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 recommend that you check that out as well as and it's not often that uh sequels hit me where it, where it needs to be but shaft's big score him before so he's back with more shaft shaft is back in shaft's big score he looks like cal asby to me what's left of him what did he tell you shaft stay away from black hunkies with big flat feet last time he was nice this time, he's ice. We go to a lot of funeral shaft, Willie and me. One day, we'll drop in on yours. Shaft is back in action with Bumpy and Willie and a new box or two. Why did you take your things off? Hey, wait a minute. I didn't mean all that. You keep the hell out of Queens. 
Shaft is back, tougher than ever. Caught in the middle of a red-hot numbers war. Looks like it's payday, Mr. Kelly. Drop the guns and freeze. If this baby starts kicking, it won't stop, so nobody get cute. See Shab score? <laughs> you gotta ask your mama again. Shab's big score from MGM. Current Shaft in Africa. You come. We found them and Mr. Shaft. You. And what do I have to do? Become a slave. We need a trained investigator. He has to let himself be recruited in Africa. Africa's the name. Shaft's the game. From MGM. This is it. The biggest shaft of all. Shaft in Africa. Shaft is back where he's never been before. Hitting the mother country like a black tornado. Cat named Shaft ain't gonna be bad with a stick. It's a brand new scene. Cross leg, cross leg. A whole new number. When this uptown dude from the concrete jungle trades his wheels for a camel and his iron for a CNI stick. 36 exposures, extra film in here. Now, I'm not James Bond, simply Sam Spade. Shaft, tracking down a ring of 20th century slave runners across two continents. Listen, if Shaft is still breathing by this time tomorrow, I'll have you killed. Why don't you really clamp down on the slave trade? I'll tell you why because the black ghettos of Paris is as far away from the Champs-Élysées as 125th Street is from Park Avenue. From the sin towns of the Ivory Coast. You know who I am, don't you? Who told you who? Talk! To a slave ship on the Red Sea. All right, gentlemen. Everyone into the hold. Go on, move it. <laughs> Africa in Paris <laughs> means black trouble 
from Shaft. Shaft of all in the hottest place of all. Shaft in Africa. Just play really well off of this original film. Uh, Shaft's big score. Uh, you can't say the mob wasn't warned about John Shaft. He's a bad dude. A numbers racketeer cautions them. Now Shaft himself will deliver that message in a way New York City's wise guys understand. Richard Roundtree reunites with director Gordon Parks and screenwriter Ernest Tedeman in 1971's trend-setting Shaft for Shaft's Big Score, the second of Roundtree's three movies portraying the street-smart, leather-jacketed private investigator. This time, the blown-to-kingdom-come murder of a client plunges Shaft into a case that bounces him like a pinball between the 133rd precinct and the competing mobs. But the players are all about to be in this rousing and entertaining thriller. And the Shaft in Africa, go ahead, slug, drug, kidnap, and leave John Shaft a buck naked in a sweltering hellhole. It's still not good enough. If you want to recruit the tough-minded Manhattan detective for an overseas assignment, you better use a language he understands, one that offers a fat upfront fee and a drop-dead gorgeous accomplice. Richard Roundtree returns as the indomitable Shaft, who possesses a, who poses as a, as a slave, unmasks the leader of an African-to-Europe slavery cartel, and, for good measure, mixes his business with amorous pleasure involving the beautiful princess, Lynette McGee. The cool fire impact of Roundtree's performance endures. The actor won the 1993 MTV Movie Award for Lifetime Achievement for his work in the Three Shaft Thrillers. I would be more prepared to call the, the second two uh, black exploitation films because they, at this point, had the, the engine uh, revved up and raring to go, and they were able to pump out stories that would more reflect in a sense uh, the african-american community especially when it gets to shaft in africa uh, of the three shafts big score might be uh, in my opinion the the weakest of them uh, but by 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 no sense is it not worth the time i was so incredibly excited uh, by the release of the new shaft movie which if you're a fan of the series you you might not care too deeply for Richard Roundtree is in it as well as Sam Jackson who was in the late 90s early 2000s Shaft film which it's a good film but it whereas the first four essentially films were procedural detective stories the new one is kind of like a uh, a bad dad sort of buddy cop film and it just it it was funny and I I mean I laughed uh, quite a bit but by the end of it I, I was wishing that it was still had more in common with the original films. Those are Shaft, Shaft's big score, and Shaft in Africa. Now I need to cover a few of the recent Warner Archive releases that just, for my money, don't really make the grade. Uh, but I do want to talk about them briefly. Uh, the, the first one is a film that I had, I recognized the box art, and I was interested in seeing this movie for a very long time. Clint Eastwood's Bronco Billy. Ladies and gentlemen! 
Plug you. Are you really the fastest guy in the West? Ain't nobody faster than Bronco Billy. You think you're faster than I am? Well, I wouldn't want to find that out, Sheriff. Why, aren't you Bronco Billy the fastest in the West? I could outdraw you any day in the week. Bronco Billy, you're nothing. The toughest hombre! Are you finished with your little speech? Yeah, I'm finished. I do not work for you, and if you ever raise your voice to me again, I will scratch out your eyes! Well, when did you feel it was time to take action? Well, it's always time to take action when there's danger. Tell them we're gonna rob a train. Okay, Billy. Rob a train? Bronco Billy, the best friend a man ever had. Bronco Billy. I love you, Bronco Billy. Don't you understand what Bronco Billy and the Wild West Show are all about? You can be anything you want. All you have to do is go out and become it. Bronco Billy Ask Clint Eastwood to select a personal favorites from among his movies, and you might be surprised by one choice. It's an old-fashioned theme, Eastwood says, but if, as a film director, I ever wanted to say something, you'll find it in Bronco Billy. One of the funniest and most touching films you'll ever see this or any year by Rana Barrett of ABC casts Eastwood as an ace sharpshooter and the head of a modern Wild West tent show. Life's been hard for Billy and the ragtag troupe, but their luck might change. In the unlikely person of a highfalutin society dame played by Sandra Locke, you might already have a favorite Eastwood role. Watch Bronco Billy, and chances are you'll have another. In the opening few seconds of the film, you are introduced to Bronco Billy's uh, cast of his uh, Wild West show, and the very first people that you see are to clearly white folks pretending to be indigenous Americans. I don't want to suggest that they're like the other characters are. However, they did not cast uh, indigenous peoples. So I was turned off immediately there. And then it did not take very long to see that Bronco Billy himself, Glenn Eastwood, that character was incredibly misogynistic. He could easily turn a corner later in the film, but I'll be honest, I didn't want to spend any more time trying to watch it it's a it's a pretty I, I try my best to finish what i start and this was not one of those that i could you might have a better chance than i do 
Uh, I imagine in a different time, this movie might hit me in a different way. Uh, as a younger person, it might have. It's it's uh, it's rated PG, but to me, it, it's pretty it's pretty G in the first uh, thirty minutes. Um, so, uh, Bronco Billy, it it looks fine. I actually let me roll this back for one second. The very first thing you see is a soft focus montage of a sunset. I love sunsets. I absolutely hate soft focus. So it's taking something that's beautiful and just ruining it. It could have not been soft. It could have just been a poor scan or a poor source material. Uh, but right from the get-go, um, I was disconnected. Then they went in with the racism. Then they went in with the misogyny. And I just hit eject. So take that for what it's worth, um, Bronco Billy. Next up is None But the Brave, directed by Frank Sinatra. You are looking at a scene from an important new Warner Brothers picture. It has many surprises. Perhaps one of the most interesting is that Frank Sinatra not only stars in the film, but also makes his debut as a director. All right. It's a deal. Cut. Very good. Thank you, boy. Uh, save him, Vic. Save your life. In combat, a fighting soldier's taught to hate the enemy. Maybe you have to hate a little before you can pull the trigger when you see a human target in your sights. And it works pretty good when the enemy is a faceless stranger on a battlefield, but what happens when he has a name and a familiar face, when he's somebody you know and respect? Can you still pull the trigger? Now, that's something very few can answer. None but the brave. small island in the South Pacific, bypassed by American forces striking toward Japan. Here, Lieutenant Kuroki of the Imperial Japanese Army and his small platoon were stranded and forgotten. Then the planes came. Suddenly they were no longer alone on the island. It was time once again to play the game of war. To kill or be killed. What's biting you down there? Nothing. Just a nervous habit. See me later, I'll fume get your blankets and you. Next. Better go easy on it, Doc. It's my loving arm. I want to tell you a little something about the enemy. Aside from a few fanatics, he's a cool cookie. On this island, he's on his home grounds. He knows the terrain, you don't. Watch your part. What else is bugging you, Lieutenant? Why'd you call me out here? I need the services of your doctor for a soldier with a gangrenous leg. Maloney! You're kidding. Like hell I am. I'm trading your services for water and food. But in Singapore, I got real dough. Yeah. But uh, the 
can't deport you here for practicing without a diploma. No. No, I haven't even got a bone saw in my kit. We still have Andal saw. What the hell kind of a butcher do you think I am? We wouldn't attack you, Lieutenant. I would. The truce is ended. I belong to the Japanese army. You understand, Captain? I understand. You don't know. Stay here. See me Japanese, you start shooting and shoot to kill. I didn't save that kid's life to see him get shot. Why the hell don't we just get on the yeah, ship? Why not? Yeah, let's, let's get on the ship. It's in there, keep Shut away! Up, don't try it! I said knock it off! Crippled C-47 transport crash lands on a remote Pacific island. For the Marines aboard, World War II becomes smaller, but no less deadly. The atoll is held by Japanese. The atoll is held by a Japanese platoon, also cut off from its command. Debuting director Frank Sinatra stars in this suspenseful war saga, joined by Clint Walker, Tony Bill, and Olympic champion Rafford Johnson. After initial bullet-laced confrontations, the Japanese leader... Tatsuya Mahashi offers to swap water for the aid of the pharmacist Mick Maloney, Sinatra, whom he has mistaken for a doctor. When Maloney amputates the leg of a Japanese soldier but saves his life, peace results. But can it last? There are two sides to every war. None but the brave skillfully shows heroism on both. So, similar to Bronco Billy, I could not finish this. There, there is a I, I believe that the film was trying to show the the difference between a war-weary set of commanders uh, next to brand-new, fresh-out-of-the-boot camp recruits that are just ready to go and and kill bad guys that they believe to be bad guys at the very least. And uh, the Frank Sinatra's character and the the two other American, uh, we'll call them adults, even though everybody was an adult, um, you can you you can see that they just want to survive versus the the young pups that just want to go and have action and it just was not clicking with me at all. The characters were in some in some instances caricatures of what you would expect to see, and uh, the acting was uh, the acting by not very good and is is quite amateurish. If you're a Sinatra fan, I imagine. You would not care for this. If you're a war movie fan, you might not care for this. It has some decent action that I saw in the first first uh, half of it, but the acting just kind of took away from it. Uh, so that is None But the Brave. Next up is a film that I had been excited to watch for a long time, and I don't want to call this uh, a bad movie. It was, a, it was an entertaining time. It was uh, Judy Garland and uh, Gene Kelly in Summerstock. <laughs> Oh, 
bumper crop too with julie garland and gene kelly leading all the hoofing singing and sparking in her final mgm musical garland plays jane fallbury a farmer owner who is a bit riled when her aspiring actress sister gloria de haven shows up with a theatrical troupe that wants the stage a musical in her family's barn any guess who becomes the show's star after its lead runs off for the broadway actor Highlights include Gene Kelly's Shuffle and Squeak, You, Wonderful You, Dance Solo makes use of loose boards and newspaper on the floor, tuxedo-topped garlands, leggy, jealous, get happy, and Phil uh, Kelly Phil Silver's country bumpkin bit, Heavenly Music, backed by woofing cranes and a show like this, How Are You Gonna Keep These Kids Down on the Farm? This release does include some special features. It has uh, summer stock, Get Happy, a classic cartoon, The Cuckoo Clock, vintage Pete Smith specialty short, Did You Know? Audio-only bonus, there's an uh, outtake song, Fall in Love, and the, tra- and the trailer. This, I'm not a, 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 a big musical fan, so that's probably where my disconnect was. Uh, it was enjoyable, unlike the last two, I made it all the way through. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of Gene Kelly. I had only seen a handful of Julie Garland films, uh, Judy Garland films. Uh, I will say that the You Wonderful You dance was uh, spectacular and something to behold. And probably, uh, for for my opinion, the reason that you would want to have this. The performances are fine. There's a lot of common faces that you're used to seeing in uh, these MGM uh, musicals. And uh, it's, it's one of those matters of overall, in the stack of Warner Archive releases... This one doesn't rate as highly, uh, and that's just on a personal level, really. Um, your results and your mileage may absolutely vary. It, it looks great, sounds great. Um, I, I can only imagine that there are a, a vast number of people that would truly get a lot out of this. Next up, before we get into the uh, turn in the corner films, as we'll call them, 
is one that I really, really expected more out of. And I'm a little, and it's possible that my disappointment might just be because I expected so much out of it. And that's Frankenstein, 1970. The one, the only, king of monsters brings you the demon of the atomic age. Boris Karloff as Frankenstein, 1970, carrying on the hideous experiments of his infamous ancestor. In this stone sarcophagus, deep in the bulls of the earth, he buried his creature, his creation. Frankenstein, 1970. In the hell pit of his centuries-old castle, he perverts the terrifying wonders of nuclear science. This gets you some eyes. To unleash a horror beyond all imagination. What kind of dealings do you have with the director of the morgue? Are you interested in corpses? Even the cyclotron concealed in his subterranean vaults cannot complete his foul creation for which he must have throbbing vital organs transplanted from living beings. Two people are missing and I want to know why they haven't come back. Mr. Rowe, I imagine, would have us suspect foul play. Chris Karloff as Frankenstein, 1970. Carlo, Carlo, Carlo. Is there a doctor in the house? At the eerie house of Frankenstein, the answer is yes and he's out to make the experiment in playing God that doomed his family for generations. There is also a Karloff in the house, a fact that makes 1958's Frankenstein 1970 a must-see for savvy fright fans. 27 years after scaring the daylights out of everyone as the lumbering monster in Frankenstein, Boris Karloff is on the other end of the laboratory switches and gizmos. He's Dr. Victor Frankenstein, an aging, hulking shambles of dignity and Menace, who agrees to let a TV crew shoot a horror flick in the family castle. The crew members don't know yet, but they're just what the doctor ordered. Fresh body parts ready for harvesting. I've seen a lot of Frankenstein movies and a lot of these classic monsters horror films over the, over the last several years. And, oh, I'm sorry. There's a special feature, a commentary by historians Charlotte Austin, Bob Burns, and Tom Weaver. This was kind of a, a story that uh, I, I've seen too many times, I think. And uh, I, I mean, it was an interesting twist, but at the same time, it's, it's just a twist. Taking the original monsters and just taking them a couple generations or a couple decades further down the line doesn't really do too, too much uh, to move the story forward. It has interesting moments. I don't want to take that away. And it does have a couple frights, but nothing too serious. Uh, I think one of our archives Dracula releases from last year would uh, I would probably rate those a little higher than this 
Uh, it was interesting to get this in like May. Um, so take that for what it's worth. I don't know. So that's Frankenstein, 1970. All right, now getting into the the meat and potatoes, the the other half of the sandwich, starting out with the three shaft films. That I have a, a couple that I really did enjoy. First up, it came out right around the same time as the shaft releases, and that is Cleopatra Jones. selling so much as a cough drop. I'm coming down on you so hard. Tamara Duff's The Soul Sisters Answer to James Bond and the most exciting new star in years. Six feet two of dynamite and it's all stacked. I told you where! And I told you when! And I told you how to get that! Cleopatra Jones. She is sticking her nose in my and up against her is the arch enemy, the female successor to Goldfinger, two-time Academy Award winner Shelley Winters as Mommy. Don't crowd me, boy. You better put that down before I make you eat it. Well, I don't want this town to blow up. <laughs> Big deal. Just hang it right there. Right on, sweet sister. Man, that road is ten miles of bad road. Lady. I'll take care of Cleopatra Jones. Cleopatra Jones, starring Tamara Dobson. Co-starring Bernie Casey, Brenda Sykes, Esther Rowe, and Shelley Winters as Mommy. Turkish poppy field is torched, and a U.S. drug trafficker known as Mommy, played by Shelley Winters, is feeling pretty burned. She phones the local cops she owns and orders a retaliatory strike on an inner-city anti-drug headquarters. Mommy's next call should be to 911, because now she has to mess with Cleopatra Jones, played by Tamara Dobson. Mommy is relentless in her vendetta. Ban Sohang, technical advisor on Billy Jack, supervised the karate sequences. Doodlebug, Pickle and Snake, and more of Mommy's offbeat stooges add glide to the story's stride. 
Their antics, Mommy's chortling sleaziness, and Cleo's class shape the power and pizzazz of Cleopatra Jones. Uh, before this uh, was released, before it was announced, um, I don't believe that I had heard of it. It's a very, very entertaining film. Uh, a, a worthy addition to any fan of black exploitation um, out there. It was nice to see the the gender flip in the lead uh, detective character, and uh, she kicks a, a, a fair amount of uh, a fair amount of ass in the film. And a very very entertaining uh, costumes are a little uh, a little much for me, but that's nothing. That's nitpicking at that point in time. I definitely suggest that you pick this one up. Now, there's a lot of uh, cultural, in, um, a lot of cultural interest in it as well as some pretty strong family moments and uh, feminism in there as well, uh, as you could only imagine. Now we are looking at a movie that I have never heard of before, and that was uh, Corvette Summer. It's the car of a lifetime. It took him all year to build it. Now I'm going to drive that thing right up to General Motors' front door. One night to lose it. Hey, that's my car! You stole my car! And the whole summer to get it back. MGM presents Corvette Summer. Somebody stole my Stingray. The word's out. It's in Vegas. You got a Corvette? Starring Mark Hamill, who's back from Star Wars. Oh, yeah! And Annie Potts, who's out of this world. You're gonna spend the night. Comprende, amigo? If he knew as much about girls as he does about cars, he wouldn't be so nervous. If you love them dead, sailor, let me see what you got. Sure. And if she knew as much about cars as she does about boys, what do you drink? she wouldn't be so jealous. Motor oil? And if you knew as much as they know about this candy apple metal flake Corvette, you'd be chasing it too. I'm helping you, dope. I'm helping you find your car. You run up against a car thief, be liable to wind up at the bottom of Lake Mead. He's into fast cars. Why don't you write a letter to the car? Dear car. She's into black velvet. Beg your pardon? I... Wow! Together, they find love. You have no right to take me anywhere! Excitement. And danger. On the trail of a stolen Corvette. Stop this car! Stop it! I'm getting out! Oh, no, you're not! It's the girl, the car, and the time that separates the men from the boys. Corvette Summer. It's a terrific car. A fiberglass romance. A cherry Corvette Stingray, a gorgeous girl, and a summer of glittery Las Vegas. What more does a guy need for the wildest, weirdest, funniest, freakiest time of his life? Mark Hamill, Star Wars, and Annie Potts, Designing Women, make comedic and romantic sparks fly in a revved-up tale of car-brained Kenny 
Hamill, who trails a Corvette that mysteriously boosted after his high school shop class restores it to perfection. The trail leads to the fun capital USA and a ditzy diversion, Potts, whose dream of becoming a hooker. Uh, this damsel in distress needs a white knight on a candy apple, metal flake, superior mags, mercury tube steed, right, Kenny? Both are in for a summer they'll never forget. It's a damsel in distress movie, yes, but Mark Hamill plays a character who only has eyes for a car. He doesn't, I, I want to say that he's very prudish, you know, he doesn't excel in any... Uh, subjects in school except for auto job and uh, it's kind of funny when you see his prudish nature next to Annie Potts who at this point in her life in the character's life has a understanding of street life knowing that she has to sell herself just to get by she has a she drives around in a van it's a shagging wagon pretty much it's got a bed and it's like a little mini hotel. And when uh, Potts and Hamill meet up in Vegas, uh, Kenny, Mark Hamill is sleeping in unrented U-Haul trailers, just trying to find this boosted car. And it's it's really, really corny. And it's I, I imagine this would be... I would have loved this a lot more watching it as a kid, I'm sure. I believe this was filmed shortly after uh, Star Wars was finished, but before it had come out. And I would not be surprised if, if when George Lucas watched this, if he had, he would have been mortified to see Luke Skywalker in this film. Um, especially if you think about this uh, next to American Graffiti. Uh, it's, you know, apples and, and bananas at that point in time. Um, it's a very entertaining film for being youthful and naive and just fun. Now, flipping the script completely... Something that is not youthful or fun is is 1944's Gaslight. It was written two days before she was murdered. Where did you find that? In this score, she must have left it here. It's written by somebody called Sergius Bauer. Give it to me. He said I wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. You're not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. But why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh. wonderful. And oh. you thought I was being cruel to you. <laughs> Keeping no, people away not from cruel. You, making you a prisoner. <laughs> oh, you're the kindest man in the world. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If I were not mad, I could have helped you. Whatever you had done, I could have pitied and protected you. Because I am mad, I hate you. Because I'm mad, I've betrayed you. And because I am mad, I'm rejoicing in my heart without a shred of pity, without a shred of regret. Watching you go with glory in my heart.
Lights flicker and dim. Footsteps sound from a sealed-off attic. Mysterious events only vulnerable young Paula sees and hears makes her fear she's losing her mind. Exactly what treacherous spouse Gregory hopes. Directed by George Cooker, Gaslight shines a superb exercise in suspense. Ingrid Bergman won her first Academy Award as Paula, doubting her sanity while clinging to it. Fellow Oscar nominee Charles Boyer skillfully plays against type as smoothly evil Gregory. Joseph Cotton, Dame May Whitty, and an 18-year-old Angela Lansbury, in her movie debut, also capturing an Oscar nomination, helps make this Victorian era vividly realized through production design that earned an Academy Award. Special features in here, the original 1940 British version and the 1946 Lux Radio Theatrical Broadcast, uh, reflections on Gaslight, including Angela Lansbury, a reminiscence by Pia Lindstrom about her mother, Ingrid Bergman, uh, the 1994 Academy Award Ceremonies newsreel, and a trailer. In this, um, in this political landscape, the term gaslighting has been, I, I hesitate to say overused because it's used exactly as much as it needs to. It's only overused in the sense that we hear it too often because it's used too often. Uh, the technique, not the word. This, uh, this film uh, is, I mean, this is a, a run, don't walk release. Uh, I think that this is a, a tremendously important piece of, uh, of cinema history. Uh, anything with Joseph Cotton or Ingrid Bergman deserved your time at the very, very least. Um, this uh, movie is, I want to say, so good that you cannot believe that it's not Hitchcock. And I think that, and I, and I hope that you hear hear me when I say that. I, and I don't use that name lightly. George Cukor has made a great many very successful films that I do enjoy. This is definitely going up at the top of that list. Uh, and I absolutely suggest that you go out there and, and pick this up now. Maybe wait for a 4 for 44, uh, but don't. Just go ahead and order this one right now. I would not be surprised if this is on the short list for release of the year. Flipping it right back around is a movie that I just finished watching before I came up here. It is one of those movies that I was mildly interested in, and I watched it just because I needed to watch it. And it is The Glass Bottom Boat. What's going on here? Who is Vladimir? Gizmo, you are a spy? Are you or are you not the girl in the glass bottom boat? Go on. That's Doris Day, the girl next door. A spy? But Doris has never been in a picture like this. Fact is, nobody has. Since I'm bottomless, there's never been a picture like this. Oh, who are you? Who is he? Is there room in the space program for love? Ask Doris. She got hooked by a spaceman. You're the mermaid. Yes, I'm the mermaid. Didn't recognize you with your clothes on. <laughs> they vibrate on the same wavelength. Spaceman falls for Doris. 
then he invites her to his pad, his missile pad. Oh, yeah, and I'm partial to blonde foreign agents. Is that it? The recognition signal is Vladimir sent me. Who is Vladimir? We want to know who this girl is. It's fun and games with the Super Snoopers, the Space Jockeys, and an assortment of kooks zooming into a zany orbit of wild, wacky entertainment for the funniest day of your life. Oh, Jay, I love you. Jay? Goodbye, Vladimir sent me. Great balls of fire. Putting this directly, oh, let me just read the thing. The Glass Bottom Boat. Doris Day enters her eighth consecutive year as the top ten box office star when she boarded the Glass Bottom Boat. A hilarious blending of romantic comedy and the era's burgeoning spy movie genre. Day plays Jennifer, a girl Friday at the Hush Hus Aeronautics think tank, when colleagues suspect she's an espionage agent. Jennifer chaotically sets out to clear her name. Looney Tunes alum Frank Tashlin directs with a cartoonish sensibility or zany insensibility embracing everything from spy guises to push button chaotic uh, chaos in a futuristic kitchen with top comedians Arthur Godfrey, Paul Lind, Edward Andrews, John McGiver, Dom DeLuise and Dick Martin in tow. The glass bottom boat is loaded top to bottom with see through fun. Um, it does have a few special features. There's spill, um, excuse me. There's three uh, old vintage featurettes: uh, Catalina Island, Every Girl's Dream, and NASA, and an Oscar-winning short cartoon, uh, The Dot and the Line. I have seen The Dot and the Line before this. I'm glad I have it now. I did not expect I would ever have it because um, I had forgotten about it before this. I don't think that I have ever seen a Doris Day movie. I know I'd seen Rod Taylor movies, which I'm surprised wasn't mentioned in the back. This movie is adorable. It's definitely of its time. Um, Rod Taylor is a scientist genius, and he falls in lust, we'll call it, with Doris Day, and uses his place at his uh, aeronautics company to... Uh, he uses his authority at the aeronautics company to woo Doris Day, uh, Jennifer. And so... There is one side of the film that is a little icky that I, I wish was not there. But again, this is a 60-year-old film. So it's, if you can forgive it of that, it's it's wacky and zany. And it's a great, I'm having a bad day and I just kind of want to giggle sort of film. And uh, I, I am absolutely in love with this little movie. I am interested in, in watching it again and just I want to share it with people. That, to me, is what really can make for a good film. And I, while I like to share all the other films that I talk about here, this one I could share with my mom, which is not something that uh, comes up very often. So um, I will say 
that the title, The Glass Bottom Boat, is a rather terrible title. Um, it has nothing to do with the movie, and so it's going to be kind of difficult, I imagine, for me to remember what this is. But, title aside, it's endlessly charming. Very, very funny. It's, it's the old kind of funny, so it's not like every ten seconds there's another beat kind of funny. It's a longer, ridiculous kind of funny. So, keep that in mind. But, The Glass Bottom Boat is absolutely on top of the list. Lastly, which I guess is technically on top of the list, was a film that I was completely ignorant of, and I regret that. It's called A Patch of Blue. of blue is destined to be talked about wherever motion pictures are discussed. You're safe now. Don't cry. A patch of blue introduces an exciting new star, Elizabeth Hartman, in the sensitive, glowing story of a blind girl's discovery of a world she has never before known. Here. I brought you a present. Take it. Put them on. It's glasses. Not quite. They're sunglasses. They're just as I thought. What? Now you're a very pretty girl. Oh, you pulled my leg. <laughs> no, I mean it. This is also the story of a young man who helps her, a refreshing characterization by Sidney Poitier, with all the warmth and humor of his Academy Award performance in Lilies of the Field. It's ringing. <laughs> in contrast, shock drama stems from the violent emotional impact of the girl's home life, provoked by Shelley Winters as the wanton mother. You stay and Wallace Ford as the dissolute grandfather. A Patch of Blue is also a story of rare understanding. You cannot go on living the way you are. It's a dark age story. I don't know what else I can do. Well, there must be some way. A film with something to say, and it says it with humor, <laughs> mounting excitement, gripping suspense, and unforgettable entertainment. <laughs> Selena Darcy is blind, yet she sees the world anew through the eyes of kindly Gordon Ralph, Academy Award winner Sidney Poitier. An awkward Cinderella raised by a bigoted, abusive mother, Selena is white. She does not know that the man helping her learn to dial a payphone or find the restroom is black. Elizabeth Hartman's luminous screen debut as Selena earned her a Golden Globe Award as Most Promising Newcomer. On the veteran side of Selena's browsy, bitter mother, Shelley Winters won her second Oscar as directed by Guy Green, Oscar-winning cinematographer for Great Expectations, 1947. The performances are timeless in a patch of blue. So is the fine film's heart-soaring impact. I know when a movie that comes across my desk and says Sidney Poitier, I, I know that deep down in my soul, uh, I'm going to be touched by this piece of cinema. This movie is so, so incredibly special. And I, it would go on the, the shelf, the, the, like the pantheon shelf of, well, Sidney Poitier films that have the strength and the constitution to teach people about how inane and silly a 
useless our assumptions about people can be when you're basing it solely on the color of their skin. I'm almost at a loss for words uh, with, with, the, with the picture. Uh, it does have, um, hold on, there are a couple of comments. There's a commentary by the director, Guy Green, and a feature at uh, Cinderella named Elizabeth. This this is just uh, similar to Gaslight. This could easily be uh, a, a possibility for the best release of the, of the year. Um, it, it hit me right where I needed it to when I needed it to. So this also, uh, don't wait. If you haven't seen it before, see it now. There's still time. Your Your life will be... Uh, adjusted up for this you will become a better person for this so ladies and gentlemen this has probably been a long one uh, these uh, Warner roundups typically are because there's usually a fair amount to talk about I appreciate if you've uh, listened on through I appreciate you listening at all my plans as of right now is the next episode to get right back onto the horse of the Agfa releases I have uh Three more waiting to be talked about. Blood Lake, a uh, two-pack of Hollywood films, which are just just incredible, and a documentary about Anton LaVey. Um, so look forward to those um, in the coming weeks and months. And uh, again, thank you very much uh, from the bottom of my heart. I hope that you uh, have a good day. Thank you. Bye-bye. But Cleo responds with a cat-like karate stealth. Ban-san. Oh, jeez. <laughs>